Hello, welcome to episode eight of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, Emily White. Today's episode is called Songwriters Need a PRO, which is short for Performing Rights Organization. And I'm going to be interviewing Loretta Munoz of ASCAP. But before I do, I just want to really make sure you understand what I'm trying to get across here and even why we're doing this episode. So throughout my career, I feel like performing rights organizations, uh, which in the U.S. are primarily ASCAP or BMI, I feel like they've done a really great job with their messaging and getting the word out to songwriters that if you are a songwriter, you need to sign up for a PRO to collect on your songwriting royalties for public performance royalties. Um, They're really, I mean, you know, ASCAP's been around like 100 years. It's This is one of the first things I learned in like music business school. They do a great job with education and messaging and communication kind of at, at music conferences. So I almost didn't make this episode because I, you know, historically, I would rarely meet a songwriter who wasn't signed up for a PRO. However, um, over the past year or so, I've met, uh, you know, multiple artists, a lot of students that were not only not only not signed up for a PRO, but if they were a songwriter or managing a songwriter or whatever, and don't be freaked out. Like I'm talking about like uh, students in management classes who are just managing an artist for a project. So most people who manage artists know that songwriters need to be signed up for a PRO. But my point is, is I've met I've met young people and artists over the past year or so that we're not signed up for a PRO and we're kind of scared to do so. Like they're taking advantage of me or they're, you know, and we'll get into this with Loretta. Like, I, I think I now understand where the confusion's coming a little bit. Like they think it's a publishing company um, or that, you know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's just like misinformation about fear <laughs> in the music industry. You know, I meet so many young people that like are, psyched and willing to sign their master recording rights away without even thinking about it, but aren't signed up for a PRO. So in short, if you are a songwriter, sign up for a PRO, do it early. You know, again, I I, I feel like I know like teenagers that sign up for ASCAP or BMI in the US, but um, yeah. And then I talk about this you know, later with Loretta, but, you know, create that habit of you write a song before you put it out, you register it with, with your PRO. So long, long and point short, PROs are not scary. Sign up if you're a songwriter. And then the next question I always hear is, well, which one do I go with? And I'm an American, I'm recording this in the US. So like I said, our two largest PROs, we have a few in this country, but um, the whole point of this podcast is like, here's what you need, you know? So um, yeah, so anyone can sign up for ASCAP or BMI in the US. I'm going to mention a few international performing rights societies based on um, people that are listening to this. So, um, and there's over 115 countries that have been listening to this. So thank you. Actually, let me pause and just say like, Y'all are blowing my mind. Um, I'm just so grateful, and it's awesome to hear from you. So keep it up. Um, a lot of a lot of these episodes were recorded in advance, but this one I'm recording and distributing hours after. So um, yeah, so real time, real talk. I'm I'm just so grateful for everyone who's been listening. 
all the feedback you've been giving me. Um, it's awesome. So keep it up and hopefully I can keep delivering. But um, yeah, so if you are in the UK, uh, PRS, Performing Rights Society, is, is your PRO. Um, if you're in Canada, it's SOCAN, S-O-C-A-N. If you're in Australia, it's APRA AMCOS, two words. AP, I'm going to guess without researching it, that was like two things that merged maybe, like if ASCAP and BMI became one thing. But APRA space AMCOS. Um, in India, shout out to my listeners in, in India, IPRS is your PRO. Um, oh, man. Oh, Mexico. Yeah. Uh, hola to my listeners in Mexico. SACM, that's your performing rights society. And uh, in, in France, it's SACEM, S-A-C-E-M. So um, if your country has more than one performing rights society, again, I can speak about it from the American standpoint. Um, they're fundamentally ASCAP and BMI are the same, right? Like they're nonprofits, they're regulated by the government. Um, I feel like if you happen to know a human or like you've communicated with a real human at one of them, go with them because it's nice to have a human contact when you have questions or, um, you want to take advantage of, uh, maybe some of the additional things that PROs can offer, which, which Lorette and I will get into. Um, but if you don't know a human there, don't sweat it. You know, these, these societies work with literally like every songwriter in the country or like 50% of them, just thousands and thousands of songwriters. So um, this isn't going to make or break your career, which, which one you go with. Um, so yeah, so don't, you know, just 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 go with one. And then the other important thing, which Loretta and I uh, talk about, and I, I understand where this could be confusing, is just sign up once you are one songwriter. So if you create a new band, a new group, a new project, a new solo artist name, whatever, you are still one songwriter. So um, I get where that's confusing because you have to go to ASCAP, you know, to register your works. And um, we'll get into sound exchange a little bit later on, on the recording side. But the point is like, don't sign up for ASCAP, you know, if I'm Emily White and I sign up for ASCAP, as a songwriter, Emily White, but I create a, a new band and I'm like, oh, I'll go with BMI this time. Like, um, I mean, the system's not going to let you do it, but I've just seen this cause problems for people before. And also, I've never directly been involved in this, but I've heard from artists who have switched um, PROs. Like, so there's a third PRO in the, U- well, there's like four in the US actually, but the, the other common one people talk about is CSAC. And so I know a band that was, and CSAC is invite only. So is um, Irving, Irving Azoff's PRO. But I know a band that was invited to CSAC and they moved their whole catalog. Like it can take years to move all those songs over and get all the, get everything re-registered in the same place. So like, I don't know. I mean, once in a while, we're talking about like Bob Dylan level, <laughs> like maybe not Bob Dylan level, but like once in a while, a PRO will offer money to try to woo someone, but it really is like Bob Dylan <laughs> level type of people because they want to get, you know, they want songwriters to be like, oh, I want to be with the one Bob Dylan is with. So my point is do not overthink it and just stick with it because you're just going to make your life, you're making more paperwork for yourself and who needs that? So I hope that all makes sense. Um, you know, the other thing that I want to talk about, which I, I you know, I've, I've discussed this throughout this podcast is when you sign up for your PRO, at least in the US, I I assume this is the the case with most PROs around the world. um, 
you know, I'm going to sign up as Emily White as a songwriter, and then it's also going to ask me for my publishing designee. So maybe I call that Emily White music or whatever. I have said this. I will continue to say it. If you are just signed up for your PRO and your songs are being covered, streamed, synced, all of the, any of the above, you are missing out on money and you need someone to administer on your publishing. What happens here is when you create your publishing designee with your PRO, understandably artists are like, oh, I have a publishing company. Great. My publishing is all set. But I have met so many artists over the past few years that were not, that did not have their publishing administered um, beyond ask, or beyond their PRO and um, they were missing out on money. So don't sweat the publishing stuff yet. Um, the episode after this, episode nine, is music publishing isn't scary or confusing. So we're going to explain to you what music publishing is and how to collect on it. But I just wanna, want you to understand how to avoid that problem. So I think it's, you know, if you can, just name it like, I mean, you can name it whatever you want. I'm not trying to tell you what to do creatively, but... When you're signing up for your PRO, try to make your life as simple as possible because if all if you write 100% of your songs, it's going to split everything into 50-50. One, side, one is your writer's share, one is your publisher's share. So it can be confusing if you're like, I'm Emily White, the songwriter, but I'm going to come up with some rad publishing name because you know I have my own publishing company. And then that's fine. Do that if you want to do that. But just know that you also have to have your publishing administered on separate outside of your PRO. Otherwise, you are missing out on money. So I hope that's clear. And I hope that helps to um, clarify, you know, why artists think they are collecting on their publishing uh, sometimes when they are just signed up for their PRO when they are potentially uh, missing money. And ASCAP, BMI, you know, these PROs I'm talking about, they are not publishers. Um, but Loretta explains that uh, pretty well. So I'll, I'll wait for her to do that in the interview. Um, we talk about this in the, in, the, in the Loretta interview as well, as well as um, I believe it's episode 10 with Lauren Ross. But make sure your contact info is up to date with your PRO. Um, when we get into sync placement stuff with Lauren Ross, um, she shared that music supervisors off, often look up you know, a song or a songwriter via, um, via PRO databases. And they're on, you know, you'll hear this from Loretta and from Lauren, um, you know, they're on, uh, timelines and schedules. And so if they can't find your correct info, they're just going to move on to the next song. So a lot of times, uh, music supervisors, which is who, you know, decides on sync placements, which is short for synchronization, which is a song in a music film advert, uh, video game, all that good stuff. They are often looking to con, you know, looking for your contact info in your in your PRO account. So not only register, but make sure that that's up to date. Um, we didn't talk about this in the in the Loretta interview, but um, submit all your set lists through your PRO. Again, I um, I'm not an expert on every uh, all, all 115 countries listening, <laughs> not an expert on all of your, uh, PROs, but in the U S you can submit set lists, um, with ASCAP and BMI. And I know you can do that in, in Europe and, and in the UK. Cause I remember that from my tour managing days, actually before ASCAP and BMI were accepting these, these set lists. So that's it. I hope, I hope you understand why you need to sign up. 
with a PRO if you are a songwriter and that you should only sign up once. And I hope um, this helps to dispel any fear or confusion around that. Um, But in the meantime, I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation that I just had with Loretta Munoz of ASCAP. I've known her a long time. Um, She's just a wonderful person. And yeah, I hope you enjoy. And speaking of composers, thanks so much to Matthew Wong for composing this podcast music. Enjoy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams podcast. I'm your host, Emily White. And today, I'm so excited to have our very special guest, Loretta Munoz of ASCAP. Welcome, Loretta. Well, thank you. And it's such a pleasure to do this. I I always enjoy um, interacting with you, Emily. You're so fantastic. And so is this podcast. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. So let's start with you. How did you get your start in the industry and, uh, you know, evolve to all the amazing things you do at ASCAP? I have to say that ever since I was a child, I was a song geek. I loved songs. I loved uh, the lyrics, all of it as a child. And I would go through my parents' um, albums and pull things out. And I was amazed when one song appeared on another record and I would ask them like, how do they get to do that? And I would play DJ saying, this is how this one sounds. And this is how the other one sounds. And they would just sort of head would drop because I was relentless. And then, um, through that love of songs became more involved or knowledgeable about songwriters. I've just, it's always been something that's been around and I, I'd ask everyone what they were listening to or, or, or what songs they liked. So fast forward after school, it was, um, I was always surrounded by musicians, whether they were my neighbors or they were in my group and, and always in being raised in the, Bay Area and the East Bay at that time was just filled with so much music and it was it was great. I accidentally moved to Los Angeles. It was a it it wasn't a fully intended uh, move, but I ended up here and helped a friend manage a studio. And through managing the studio, it was either feast or famine. It was either incredibly busy or very, very quiet. And in the quiet times, I read the trades. I read Billboard at the time. I read there was um, a Record World at the time. Anything that had to do with the music business, and not really knowing anything about the music business at that time. Um, and I scoured the charts and seeing there was this company called Chapel Music. And Chapel had all the writers that, or all the songs that I loved at the time. It was just, and and I asked the question, like, what's publishing? What is Chapel Music? So I basically went in there and asked them. Um, 
I got an appointment to see Pat Woods, who was still at Warner Chapel, um, and walked in and started talking to the receptionist, who was my very first friend I made in the music business, um, and told her all about chapel music and songs, and I just wanted to learn, and I would do anything. And she brought Pat Woods in, and I got the job as receptionist and worked my way up from there and did everything, um, as you do when you're young and you're hungry and you want to find out about more about what you love. So I was the record orderer, the demo orderer, the coffee, you know, supply person. I made the copies. I stood at doors uh, for industry events like as scintillating as the California Copyright Conference to take names. I just wanted to learn everything. And eventually, yeah, yeah, and event, you know, you do that. You find things to do. You make yourself invaluable and while you're learning and getting this education and I then became a song plugger um, and went through that and I thought that was amazing to be able to to work with writers hear new music get their songs placed on projects on then I was focusing more on getting it in on records um and I worked for a company at the time that was being was a little not unstable, but it was in the process of being bought and sold and bought and sold. And and um, I became disenchanted with publishing and left that gig and thought at my very young age, I'm so tired. I've been working for so long. I need to take a break. I want to go up to Northern California and hang out with my family for a couple of months. And when I come back, I'll reassess and figure out what I want to do. Um, the first day I was home, I got a call from ASCAP and from BMI and asked if I, you know, had time to come by and talk with them. Now I had lots of friends at both uh, organizations and I thought, oh, that's really nice. They, you know, they want to catch up. So I walked in um, to ASCAP and uh, talked with Mike Gorfain, who was uh, the head of the West Coast office at ASCAP, and Julie Horton was a membership rep there. And basically, it was uh, unbeknownst to me, it was an interview, and I was offered a gig. But they didn't have a place for me for a couple of months, so that was amazing. And and it was the same scenario at BMI. Incredible. It was really incredible. I was very, very fortunate, and it sounded like the gig that I wanted to uh, to work hands-on with songwriters and composers, more songwriter-focused then, and it was at the time where we wanted to bring um, members or songwriters to a PRO in the beginning rather than at the end of their signing process. Um, it uh, it used to be where you would, bands would play, say, take the band portion. An artist would, artists would get a gig. They wanted to play live. So they play live. So it's about doing that and making that connection. And then being signed 
by a label. So there's that. And then they have to get a manager or having a manager. And then the label comes in and then the attorney and the attorney says, have you signed with a PRO? And they say, what's that? Right. And then at the end, you sign with a PRO and we wanted to flip that. So that was the discussion that, that we had. Um, at that point, I needed to see if I really wanted to do it. And I had to find out pretty deep what a PRO was, because at the time I wasn't dealing with performances and I, we all just ran around together and I knew that, that PROs collected for performances of music, but I didn't know how deep it went. And in the end, I chose ASCAP because of how they began, how they run their business, how it's a democratic society, it's membership owned, there are voting, uh, you vote in your board of directors, and it just appealed to everything that I was raised with and being raised in the in that Bay Area where um, uh, advocacy was in the water. Even if you're, you weren't raised that way, it was just, you know, uh, civic duty. And it just fell into that for me. And obviously, I've been there now 100 years, and I still love it. <laughs> well, it's amazing. You know, I used to um, think that, oh, I, I hope I don't botch her last name, Kathy Spamberger right. at Pier was mm-hmm. the only person I know who's been with a company for like, like her entire career. But I realize you also are that to me. Like you've been at ASCAP a really long time. So I don't, I, to me, it's just like, it's a testament, you know, to you both and the great work that you do. So it's, it's easy to be like, oh, I've been there a hundred years, but it's like, I don't know anyone in the music industry that's had a consistent job. So that's amazing. It's Um, really amazing. And it is, it's, it's, uh, I still have that love of songs and love of songwriters and composers. And it is, although it's been a challenging year, it is, there's never been a ho-hum moment for me or, or something that I take for granted. It is what drives me. Music still drives me. So that love, you know, prevails. Yes. And that's crystal clear. Anytime I see you speak with you, all of that, that definitely comes across. Um, well, I know people can Google Google this, but uh, tell us how ASCAP did begin, because you said that was part of the appeal over BMI initially. Um, well, it was um, founded. Wait a minute. Um, so ASCAP was founded um, over 100 years ago by a group of songwriters and composers you know, who believed that they should get paid when restaurants played their music. And that wasn't happening. And so they got together and they formed ASCAP. Um, And it's the, as I said, it's the only uh, PRO, performing rights organization, in the United States that's owned and operated by um, members. And so that is pretty amazing in that it's unique and we operate um, as a not-for-profit and Mm -hmm. every dollar that we take in goes back to our members as royalties aside from a small percentage of operating um, expense and you know to do the business to get the monies to track everything to get it to our members but it still is amongst the smallest percentage 
um, in operating uh, for a PRO in the world. Um, our board of directors vote in, are voted in every two years by membership, which really makes us stand out. And our president and um, chairperson is a creator. Currently, we have the incredible Paul Williams mm -hmm. as our chairperson and president, and he is quite remarkable. And it's a it's a heavy lift for our our head of uh, the board in in every walk and talking to everyone, talking to members, advocacy um, changes that have been coming fast and furious. And he is he is pretty remarkable. Agreed. So one thing that I shared with you before this, and I mean, I would have been remiss to not have you on, I realized in hindsight, but I didn't have an episode plan talking about PROs because I felt like it was so obvious and <laughs> that ASCAP in particular, at least throughout my career, throughout this century, has done, um, I think, really a great job Um educating, informing, advertising, you know, at conferences, it's like sign up for ASCAP. Like, I feel like, you know, I, I went to college in the early 2000s. And that's like one of the first things you learn about is signing up for a PRO. So I was really shocked when I met a musician uh, who'd released like over 10 albums and only signed up for uh, ASCAP a few years ago. And then I met a ton of students this year who were kind of scared to sign up for a PRO, like, oh, they're they're going to take advantage of me or there's something bad or scary. And I was like, what? Like, just go sign up if you're a songwriter. I was so confused by that. So let's start at the basics. What is ASCAP? So ASCAP is a performing rights organization that we've been referring to as a PRO. Um, and our main job is to get our members paid when their music is played publicly. And we represent a, the ever-diverse music community, um, all genres, at all different stages of, of a creator's career. We have over 800,000 songwriters, composers, publishers, and we license their music to the businesses that play it. So it's streaming services, radio stations, TV channels, Netflix, live venues, although, and sadly, that's taken a big hit, as everyone knows, and we are slowly opening up. I just got off the phone with a writer right now who was driving to a gig, his first gig, and on the East Coast in New Jersey, he is so over the, he was, it was elation coming through mm -hmm. the land. Um, and then, and we cover, you know, from huge live venues, from huge arenas to tiny venues and clubs, restaurants, bars, websites, anywhere music is played that we Amazing. are allowed to collect uh, by copyright. I love it. And what kind of, you talked about the type of people that make up ASCAP's board. Um, what do they advocate for on behalf of ASCAP songwriters? So, uh, it's comprised of 12 songwriters and composers and 12 music publishers. And so the advocacy, it's, it's for our members to have the most, um, the strongest ability to collect royalties for the use of their music. 
That's first and foremost. And and in advocating uh, whether it's licenses that they're that they are um, supporting, um, giving information, and in going to Washington in in taking care of all the business that there is. Um, and you have a balance because you have the business of music with music publishers. And there are a lot of creative people from the music publishing um, side on the board that straddle both. And then you have your songwriters that are in the trenches and um, making sure that they are also the writers. Those writers and publishers are also members of ASCAP and also um have a revenue stream. So their interest is to make sure that everyone gets paid fairly as much as possible and um, that it's done very quickly. Exactly. And so, you know, yeah, go ahead. I think that in addressing your point of maybe students being fearful um, and, and your, your address, your, saying that you had a, a, met with an artist that had 10 plus releases and just recently joined a PRO. Um, I've incurred that also in my uh, tenure at ASCAP writers or artists that you would think would know and suddenly, or they signed, but they never registered a work, a song. So no, it, it's, you know, the thought is, oh, someone else got my money. No one got that money, including you, who you should, you're deserving of it. No one did. No one got it because no one knew to collect that money to, to give to the rightful owners of it. And I think that also I've had this. Um, so as I was saying, to be a member, we have songwriter, composer members, and we have publisher members. Mm-hmm. I have had writers that I've worked with for years and years that are very successful that are uh, that that have done great business in all different areas in multiple areas and they've said listen I've just gotten out of my publishing deal I want you to be my publisher right so I have to explain well that's so nice. We're not publishers. And then I have to go back to ground zero in, in saying that. But it's, there's, there's a lot of mystery around. I'm not quite sure why that, that still happens, but we answer that question or, or address that always. And I think that in feeling that, you know, there's a strong sense of you retain your copyright, retain your publishing, make sure that you're not being taken advantage of, which we all try and help and educate so that never happens. Um, And I think that perhaps the sense is that ASCAP is a publisher or takes a percentage of, of ownership of the work and not ASCAP, all PROs. You know, that that's it. And so the education has to continue and we have to still be deep on that. Yeah, you really nailed it there because I have spent this podcast explaining to people why they need to sign up um, with a publishing administrator. That's why I think like Song Trust is so great. But like I said, it never occurred to me to be like sign up for a PRO um, until I started to experience this. And of course, 
like you said, you experience it all the time. So um, what we're saying, what I'm saying, which I have nothing to gain by saying is ASCAP is not scary. PROs are not scary. (laughs) So if if you're a songwriter, uh, sign up for a PRO. And again, like there's plenty of listeners that are like, duh, you know, but there's plenty who don't know this. So that's why I felt it was really important to make this episode um, to share that PROs are not scary. If you are a songwriter, sign up for, you know, the appropriate uh, PRO in your country. Um, Correct. And, and get the get the money that's owed to you as a songwriter. So um, we, we touched on this briefly, but when, sh- when do you feel a songwriter should sign up for ASCAP? You know, it, the, way the, the way the world is now with people that are very serious about their craft and, and are putting uh, songs up or pieces up on social media, are, are, are putting videos up on YouTube or whatever. There's so many more outlets now. I say before you put things up, Join the PRO because yes. that's also the the beautiful foundation for a lot of people that are looking for new artists, you know, or looking for that whether it's whether it's your standard label or a publishing company or music supervisors or companies that gather content for music supervisors. There are so many different uh, ways to hear music and you want to be protected. You want, you want to have that. And so not only to, to join when you're doing that and if you're not putting anything up, which is, which is unusual, but a way to go, then when you are starting to send out that music to people that you want to have listen, whether it's, you know, whether you're sending off to a, to a label or to a publisher or to your attorney, an attorney or, or, or uh, even to get gigs. If you're putting your music out there for other people to hear, my feeling, my personal feeling is that's when you engage. A hundred percent. And I think once in a while people feel like, oh, like I'm not big enough or I'll just, you know, wait till I'm further along in my career. Like you're making your life easier, not only by, you know, signing up as soon as, you know, ASAP, as soon as you figure out like, okay, I'm, I'm a songwriter, I'm, I'm a musician. Um, but you're also making your life, you're, you're also setting patterns for yourself. Like you said, it's like finish a song, register it with your PRO release it, you know, and it's good to get in that habit of things because I'm not surprised you've met artists who are members, but haven't registered their work site. I can see where that would happen. So again, set that tone, set that process for yourself in those early days. Absolutely. That is the the key is to join a PRO. And once you've joined, make sure those songs are registered. Yes. And make sure they're correctly uh, registered in if you're collaborating with someone make sure that you have the names of your collaborators and and how you're splitting that up and your con yeah sorry go ahead no it's that it's the details of your most imper- important art it yeah. has you know it's not going to be more important to anyone else but 
the one that creates it. All the others are there to support and to make sure that it gets out there or you get paid and all. But it, this is your love and desire and your fire and all those things that drive artists classically in our world. That's exactly what this podcast is all about. Um, yeah, you brought that to life perfectly. And oh, and something that's mentioned in a future episode that was recorded before this one, um, mm-hmm. Lauren Ross is our um, how to land a sink episode person. And she was really stressing the importance of making sure your contact info is correct with your PRO because sometimes, not sometimes, uh, very often music supervisors go and look look you up on ASCAP because they want to place your music. So that's another reason to make sure that all your docs are in a row in your PRO and ASCAP account. I don't know how many times I get calls from music supervisors or people that are clearing music saying, we have this song, we have this writer, we can't find it anywhere. Like how? And then you go digging and go, oh, well, this hasn't been updated. And then, and then tracking down that person to say, this person is looking to use your music. Let me connect you. And by the way, please update your information. It's very easy to do as an ASCAP member. You have a, we have a portal called member access and it's, it's an individual's, all their information and you can make changes. You can see your distribution. You can see everything on that. And, and if there is something or you have a question, you can make an inquiry that is, um, that is handled or you call your reps, which that is always lovely to have hands-on contact with our members. Agreed. And, and yeah. With, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I said, but it's all there and it's easy to navigate. It, you're, yeah. ASCAP site is very easy to navigate. And yeah. So we talk a lot on this podcast about, because um, you're exactly right. Like double check the contact info, make sure that's all good. Because we talk a lot about um, how, how can we make... <laughs> other people's jobs easier. So we want to make those music supervisors jobs easier. We want them to be able to get in touch with you. Right. And they're also on, as I'm sure that Lauren said, there is like eminent like deadline. Like it's just, and if there's only a little time that can be spent for digging and looking and, and all for most, most music that's in projects. um, And if you come up against the wall, wall of time, wall of deadline, whatever, you're sitting with your director or whomever is making the ultimate decision, you go on to someone else and it's a lost opportunity and, and kind of, you know, a little sad heartbreak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just to bring this all together and, you know, into the big picture, like I had a brand new band once, um, you know, land a sink super like very, very early days and their PRO royalties were like six figures because it was in a, the song was in a commercial airing during, during the world series, you know, on network TV. So again, sign up for your PRO so you can get, you know, those royalties when you land a sink. And again, this was a band that had been around for like three months. So, um, yeah, don't, don't wait on, on signing up. Fantastic. Um, I was just listening to a band called the uh, I think the Linda Lindas and young kids, young, young, young kids. Um, and they went through the girl school program and were performing and, um, 
Amy Poehler happened to be in the audience. Love it. And loved them and put them in their film Moxie, in her film Moxie. It's just there. I think the oldest is a, a cousin that's 16 years old. And the others are like, I don't know, 12, 8. Totally. They're like punk pop rockers. They're awesome. <laughs> so cool. Amazing. So yeah, so you're never too young to to sign up for, for your PRO. That's for right. sure. Um, one thing I mentioned in the book that my attorney was kind of confused by, but I've seen this, like you might be a little bit more on the same page as my attorney is only sign up for a PRO once. So if you create a new band name, you have a new project or whatever, like you're still one songwriter. My attorney was all over me being like, it'll bounce you out of the system. You can, I'm like, I know, but I've seen artists do that. Like I have a new band, I have a new group, I have a new artist name. So um, feel free to comment on that or not, but that's something I want to preach is like, and I can see where that's confusing, right? Like I have a new album. Do I have to sign up for a new, it's like, no, you're one songwriter. Right. You're one songwriter. You're one composer. There are, there are many times, you know, where artists have pseudonyms. They write, this is their artist project. This is their project as a songwriter or a composer. And sometimes there are different names. Some of them are public. Some of them are confidential. And you, there's a place to inform your PRO to let them know. Now with, with bands or new bands, maybe um, your music publishing situation is different if you own your own music publishing. And the way ASCAP works it, it's 50-50, 50% for the writer, 50% for the publisher to equal 100% of the, for the work. Um, so say you're, you know, Band X and you started with Band X and it's Band X music. You leave Band X or you form another band and the new band is Band A. And so you can then form another publishing company if that's how you want to do your business and, and sharing it with that and keeping things different. That can be done. And that's, that's, uh, um, commonly done. However, as a writer, you have one writer um, account. Yes. And you talked about, you know, 50% is the writer's share, 50% is the publisher's share. I think that's where the confusion comes in. Like, like I said, in my world, I have met so many artists that think they are collecting, and I'm sure you do too. Uh, you definitely do. <laughs> think they're collecting on their publishing because they're already signed up with ASCAP. And I'm like, um, there's thousands of dollars sitting for, you know, for you over here because your, your publishing is not administered on. And then I, again, in your world, I understand what where people, I'm saying the same thing where people think you're a publisher and are like, oh, I want to move my publishing to ASCAP. So, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is if an artist plans on working with, uh, a self-serve publishing administrator. We talk a lot about song trust throughout this podcast. Do they need right. a different name for their publisher's share? Because like you said, in ASCAP world, 50% of the royalties go to the quote writer's share, 50% go to the publisher's share. But if I'm just one writer, Emily White, can I name both things Emily White? You can name it Emily White Music and Emily White as a songwriter. And I... I have a strong feeling. I I'm an advocate for writers to have their publishing companies up and you know till if they decide to sign their publishing to someone else or have a different deal and that's all workable and that is as 
um, advised. Um, but a, a company like Song Trust, which is does really great business, they are the administrator. They can administrate your company. I know that they also offer to, if you don't want to open up a publishing company in your own name or, or as doing business as this music company, this publishing company, that they are happy to be your publishers. I, I am still of the mind that uh, writers should open their own publishing company and have Song Trust, if they choose Song Trust, to administer. Yes. So what we're saying here is don't get confused when you sign up for your PRO and it's like, who are you as a songwriter and what is your publishing designee? Okay. That's if you're one person, that's actually 50, 50% plus 50% is a hundred percent. And then again, I say this on like every episode after you sign up for your PRO, you still need someone to administer on your publishing. Otherwise, you are missing out on money if your music is being covered, streamed, placed, all that good stuff. So once you have um, uh, activity running through your catalog, yeah. and hopefully it happens right away. And sometimes it takes a little longer, you know, to, 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 to get that out or get that happening. Um but if you have activity on it, then yes, you want someone, if it's some, there are some writers that are able to administer their own catalog and have the bandwidth to do that. Um, but when there's substantial things happening, it is advised to get an administrator or uh, another publishing company in if they want to do a co-publishing. There are lots of variances, but to have them do it. But when you first start out and there are just a few things happening, um, it's not necessarily necessary automatically to get an administrator. But once there is activity happening, uh, that is, as I said, substantial, it is advised to get that help or advice. Yeah. advice. yeah. And all we're saying on this episode, um, I was playing around with titles before we spoke. I think <laughs> I'm going to go with songwriters need a PRO. <laughs> like all we're talking about this episode is sign up for a PRO. Right. Next week's episode is music publishing isn't scary or confusing. <laughs> so just yes. keep following the process and you will get there. Exactly. It isn't scary. No. Um, so one thing you know, okay. So, well, does ASCAP provide, well, I was going to give a caveat before this question, which is you have thousands of mem songwriting members at ASCAP and like ASCAP does amazing things. Like I met you at the Sundance Film Festival years ago. Um, you know, I've spoken at the um, ASCAP Creates Music Expo in LA. Like, you know, you guys do a ton, you know, I've done things, uh, you, you know, I love the film scoring camp you do, but fundamentally your job is to collect money for songwriters. So before I ask this question, just know that like, um, ASCAP's job, ASCAP's job, it's not your job to get people these things, but anyway, that's really, really long winded to say, does ASCAP provide opportunities for songwriters beyond collection, but don't be, don't feel bummed if you don't get them because there's thousands <laughs> of songwriters, if that makes sense. Yes. And it is, we have so many things that we do, um, as you mentioned. So you have your membership representatives across the country and in our UK office. And we are there in helping, um, in helping our members with career advice um, from 
from the beginning of your career to the middle to, you know, seasoned legacy, we're there through the whole process and your needs will be different. But there is that, um, uh, there's that help and there's that opportunity. We talk to members constantly. It's a big part of, you know, of what we do day to day in, in trying, whether it's, um, hopefully helping in setting up collaborations or ideas of where to go next, or whether it's a collaboration with another writer or a music supervisor or at a label or a publishing company, whatever it is, different opportunities come up. We get calls from people needing music and people and our members wanting help with their music. So it's uh, an, an awesome shout out to the uh, ASCAP membership team, which I guess I'm shouting out for myself too, as I'm a <laughs> member of the team. We do an amazing job. And the thing that's, that I found unique, and I, we also, we had this conversation with our amazing CEO, Elizabeth Matthews, in the beginning when she came in and sort of learning the lay of the land. She's a brilliant woman. And uh, when she came in as, CEO, um, really digging in deep and learning about the members and the relationship with membership. And aside from the, the basic and important day-to-day -day business of the nuts and bolts of ASCAP, and how she came to learn how intimately involved we are with our members in that there are people that really love their work that they do. It's not a day-to-day -day job. It is, there's a deep passion for music. And this is what we have pretty much across the board in the membership team. It's really amazing. I don't know of any other uh, place that's like this. I'd say, uh, and one of the reasons I've stayed at ASCAP as long as I've had and not really wanted wanting to and different opportunities that I've been fortunate that have been given uh, or or uh, placed uh, in front of me. I never really wanted to work at a label except for A and M legendary, you know, <laughs> label. When I first started working in the music business and walked onto the lot, it's like, oh my god, this is just this is Neverland. This is beautiful. Totally. Yeah. And uh, Virgin Records, you know, like those that were deeply passionate about their artists and, mm -hmm. and a creative environment. And and I'm getting off track now, but the membership, oh, great. the membership staff, the representatives from top to bottom, from our 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 you know creative officer John Tita, all the way down to our newest you know. Uh, rep that's come in, our coordinators, our, our interns. It's it's deep. It is. And that's such a good point. And, and it goes back to what I feel like ASCAP and PROs should be for people. It's kind of your first entry point into the industry. So like you said, there's a ton of educational resources. You guys have conferences, you have events. And I've felt that way my whole career from like when I was first, first starting out, like I always get a response from ASCAP. I, it's always a human being. It's always helpful. So, um, yeah, so there is, there are resources for everyone. I guess I didn't need that long winded, like you might not be on Loretta's Sundance <laughs> showcase, <laughs> but, but it's 
you know, it's that it's the it's it's resources. It's you know, if you you come in and you have a question, well, our offices aren't open right now, but we have opportunities to just have your basic questions answered. There's that. There's education, as you talked about before the ASCAP. I create. A music expo that was the brilliant brainchild of Lauren Iosa, our head of marketing. And it's become this amazing, um, much copied uh, um, uh, experience that you've had. It's now, um, now it's called the ASCAP experience. Last, ha- last time last we had our, our at home edition and we're continuing on virtually this year. And it's been pretty amazing. Uh, of uh, I think we're having eight weekly sessions, although it looks like it might be continuing on. We just had an amazing one with Greg Kirsten um, and Dave Grohl interviewing him, and he was presented with an ASCAP award by uh, Beck, and it was just the deep conversation. Greg Kirsten, multi-Grammy award-winning songwriter, producer, who's, you know, I think beginning roots were in jazz and and how you 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 pull that out and you learn more and more deeply about these people that whether you know or not influence you in the music that is in the air and to deep down you know like you need to know the basics of your metadata i know it's not very you know scintillating but boy is it important and the experience is always comes from the point of view of what does this have to do with a songwriter or a composer? Every single panel, every single interview we have, every single performance has goes down to that. That's the question that's asked every time before we put anything up. What songwriter doesn't love that? That's amazing. Exactly. exactly. Let's talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so important and it's, you know, it's an old part of copyright law. It's a new part of copyright law. So yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about. That's for sure. Right. There's there's newsletters that we have out, daily news, inside music. We have workshops, song camps, showcases, as, as you said. We met at Sundance. I remember the moment we met. It was just so awesome and that it started right then. My, my deep respect and friendship. Uh, uh, for you is begin that time and watching you as a tour manager, which by the way, I think is the hardest job ever. <laughs> yeah. It's no joke. It's Thank you. No joke. I did it once for a month out of college with friends that were in a band. And I was like, Oh my God, this is horrible. I, <laughs> I did it and I, I pulled it off, but it was I'm like, okay, I don't ever want to do this again with you because you are my friends and I want to still like you. <laughs> exactly. Um, wow. That, that's amazing. And uh, well, I did it from age 20 to 23. So that was like a good age to do it, but um, it was, it's amazing. And the, and those, you know, those are some of my, uh, uh, deepest memories and super proud of what we did in developing that Sundance ASCAP Music Cafe. And we've done things across the board in all other genres as well. This one is a, the, uh, the Sundance one is multiple genres. So it's just, it's, it's global. I love it. How it's expanded over the years. You should be proud because I have been there three times um, with artists. The first time was with the Dresden Dolls. And I remember 
Ben Queller was on the bill, which was amazing. And then I was there with Imogen Heap and Kings of Leon were on the bill. And this is, what's the capacity of Star Cafe or is it somewhere else? Star Star I think it was probably like 300 people. If that. If that, yeah. Yeah. If that. And it was, uh, yeah. It was pretty, we just uh, did a a virtual uh, showcase this year with Sundance on their platform. And one of the final day was a look back, a walk back in time with the Sundance ASCAP Music Cafe and looking at our vault of performances and just looking at footage that we had and the names of people. I just sat back and was like, this is unbelievable. It is because, like I said, I've been to three, and just I remember the other artists on the bill, not just who I was there with. So I can't even imagine your memories and experiences. I love yeah. it. It's great. It's great fun, and to be able to do that, to be able to help, you know, in 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 pushing up those new artists, you know, also supporting artists that are already established and having a mix. And then, so the magic that happens on stage and with all these showcases that we have across the board, there's the magic that happens on stage. And then there's the magic that happens in the back, in the green room or whatever it is. And that interaction and artists meeting each other for the first time or reconnecting and the and new creative sparks and collaborations start so it continues it sort of lives on after it does so much so sorry to interrupt I just realized I've actually been to four I remember Jonah Smith was the third but I also did one with Brendan Benson which was not at Star Bar no, it was at the um, it was at the gallery, our pop up venue yes. in the gallery, the Rich Rich Haynes Gallery that um, Sundance is uh, um, we designate as Music Cafe. And up until COVID, we were still there. I love it. I it's my favorite venue. It's just it's great. So um, hopefully we'll return, and but we'll see. Um, but yeah. Quite a legacy you've built there at the Sundance Music Cafe. That's for sure. Uh, thank you so much. Yes, it's always wonderful and intimate. It's the thing. That's it. And you get it in there. Years ago, we had a, a showcase in Los Angeles. Well, I guess it was national. It was uh, created by our a former rep, uh, wonderful um, Brendan Oakland, And she wanted to have a more stripped down acoustic-ish showcase and we had it at the old Largo uh, and it was called Quiet on the Set, Shut Up and Listen. And that was how I based our Sundance uh, showcase on that. You're here to listen to what's happening with these artists on stage. You can have a chat. That's absolutely fine in between. Or you can take that call and politely step outside. And we're pretty vigilant about it. Well, and and people would just do like be good and do those things anyway because the reputation you built up for the lineup over the years. Like way more than ironically at like South by Southwest. Everybody is talking during music and it makes me so nervous. I get so agitated filled when that happens. I'm like, the artists are performing. It's, yes. like, it's heartbreaking. It's just, it's awful. 
<laughs> but I think because it's the Sundance Film Festival, and I remember the first time I went, I was like, this is so weird because everybody looks like, like just literally walking around Park City, I was like, everybody looks like an industry person, but I don't know anyone. Right. So I think they, they want to come in and hear music, whereas at the music portion of South by Southwest, um, you know, I think people just take it for granted. Yeah, yeah. It's all good intended, but it's just... It's tough, man. You have to have, yeah, it's tough to be an artist to performing on stages like that. Well, you know, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I like, I get like, when I hear of an artist that's go like a family friend got in a South by Southwest and my mom's like, can, you know, can you talk to him? And I was like, sure. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I have a South by lecture and I'm like, expect it to suck. Like the sound is going to suck. People are going to be talking like, but you have to play your heart and soul out because those people are talking because they're psyched to be out of the office. And I just, you know, I, you know, I mean, you have plenty of stories too, where it's just like, I've had 10 people to showcase and it leads to a European booking agent, or I've had, you know, there was some story about some low attended showcase at South by where someone was kind of dancing in the back of the room and, you know, got closer, got closer. And it was Tom York, you know? And so, um, yeah, but but anyway, the the music cafe at Sundance is not like that because all the film <laughs> people are excited to to check out uh, music. So, what are your days and weeks weeks like? Um, both, I mean, we're in kind of like weird pandemic times, or right. I mean, in between, pan- we're you know, like you said, you were, you were just talking to an artist on the way to a gig. So, you know, what were your days and weeks like before the pandemic, and what have they been work wise during the pandemic? Um, it was, it was pretty, uh, intense. Um, fortunately our, uh, CEO prepared us for work at home in that all systems were a go. There wasn't a glitch. It's like, listen, I'm watching this happen. And, and she was pretty vigilant about it in making sure all systems to work remotely were, were set up and a test day and all of that. So, so there was that portion and we were supported that way, which is incredible. However, when we left, it's like, okay, this is March 13th. We're going to start work from home. Now, I don't think any of us or most of us knew how long it was going to last. I thought last six weeks, June, maybe we'll be back in June. And then it was, we'll be back. Well, it's summer, so we'll probably come back uh, after Labor Day. And when, you know, how everything rolled out and how shocking it was. in so there was taking all that in of what was happening in the world. And also then hyper-focusing on, well, we're operating entirely different now. I can get a lot of calls in. I can do a lot of calls. I can do a lot of FaceTime at the time and then Zoom dipping deeply into that. So I I made sure in the beginning to stay very closely in touch with all the writers that I was working with anyway and Mm -hmm. answering calls and trying to stay in touch with my colleagues as well in our meetings. So there was a lot of, I'd say, a quarter of the way through it they're set in a little bit of meeting fatigue, but still, um, 
there was a lot of work to be done. There was a lot, a lot more work without that break in the other part of our, of our work and part of our gig in going and meeting face-to-face with artists and with our members, going to studios, hearing, you know, new, new sessions, scoring sessions, um, and then going to gigs that the joy, joy part of it for me. Um, so that coming in, so how do you, it was, it was trying to maintain a little bit of that. So I didn't get bogged down in all the administration. The last, I think the day before we shut down, I was at, uh, an incredible session at Warner brothers with Gustavo Santolala and he, it was, it was amazing and just standing there, hearing this incredible music, talking to people, connecting with him. He's one of my favorite composers and people. And then walking, and it's been, I haven't seen him since. We've, so it's, uh, it was trying to, to balance all of that. Um, I found that, and this is across the board with my colleagues as well, people have been able to focus on their catalogs, getting their catalogs in order, noticing like I, I had six albums and there are only like songs from the first record on here. So what happened? I'm sure we registered them and, and digging in and trying to, uh, to find that and helping. There's a lot of that, a lot of administrative, making sure that people have their cue sheets in same thing we started talking about in the beginning, you know, making sure their registration is up to date. We had several artists that made their um, income, strong income by touring constantly. Like it's yep. a very large part of their stream and that's not happening. But they had uh, a lot of performances and specials on PBS or they had other things, syn- synchronization that happened. Um, and those cue sheets weren't in. They were like, oh, well, we're part of the production. We forgot that we needed to provide you with that. So it's a lot of uh, setting things right and making sure, which is still our, our focus in making sure that our members get paid for their performances. Exactly. I've heard that from a lot of people this year too. Um, even like managers and stuff that were buying this book saying like, frankly, like the artists I work with made a lot on the road and now I'm taking this time to really dig in and, um, you know, try to expand their revenue in, in other ways. So yeah, I'm sure you've, that's so interesting. That makes complete sense. Right. It's, it's that. And now ASCAP is still our, our target is, um, um, we're looking at opening offices in the fall. You know, it's a kind of a liquid date as things are with our world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not meeting face to face with with uh, our members currently, or you know, gigs haven't really started to open up here in LA. There are lots of little private things and all. So it's still maintaining. Um, screen time with with our with our members um i'm looking forward to the day when i can sit down and and meet again face to face with our members it's i'm feeling the lightness of it with the 
you know, just being able to take a walk down the street in my neighborhood without a mask, it's just like, oh, I can fully breathe, you know? So there's that openness. I feel it's coming. And with, you know, seeing all the, the, the different, um, uh, summer concerts that are happening and festivals, I'm praying that it's, um, uh, that it will continue and build again. I think it's all going to be, it's, it will continue to have an impact on how we operate. I know it will with me personally, just with my family, um, uh, situation here. I have, uh, um, my mother is in our household and she is as robust as she can be, but there are some needs that, um, that come along with it. And I have to make sure we're super safe. And, um, and that's my goal is to make sure that she is well and our family is well. And so I have to conduct myself outside in public with that is first and foremost, protecting our, our family and then those that are outside as well, too. So, um, so we're following that protocol. But I cannot wait to be back in my office. I cannot wait to meet with our members and and hear new music and uh, and you know, tiptoe back into that. Exactly. So one last question. Mm -hmm. What does building a sustainable music career mean to you? Um, I think in our, in, in our experience of the last year, no matter what uh, level or lane you're in, in, um, in your career, there's been a lot of time to sit, to sit back and there hasn't been a lot of noise. And so thinking and imagining is there and is, uh, is very, um, fruitful, you know, like the deliverance of that has been wonderful. And maybe in coming away, there's a lot more focus on wellness uh, physical wellness, mental wellness, and and from that, other branches come out in in healing and and part of not only in life and navigating that, but the life of an artist is that you have to be healthy to be able to have the stamina to sustain your career, and there are so many facets to it, and for the longest time it was if there was any difficulty if there was any um any sort of uh a crack in the veneer it was not handled properly and it was not even handled properly it was you know handled terribly and now that that's all been uh put before us and there are ways of helping and so many people have have already walked through this that that is the good thing that's come out of this and moving forward there's you know we're involved with at ASCAP in in a lot of uh putting forth wellness for our members and for our staff um we've worked with music unites in trying to put up all opportunities for financial help for wellness help uh, whatever it is that you need, there's there's someone there to help you, and so that 
in moving forward, I think that's just, that is part of your responsibility to take care of that. And we've already been, uh, there's examples of that happening in our world in the past year. The stigma is not attached to it. Agreed. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time, Loretta. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a delight. I'm always happy to speak with you, Emily, and I look forward to seeing you and giving a big hug and seeing what we've got next up on the ramp to do together. Yes, I can't wait. And hopefully we've helped to dispel or not, we'll dispel that PROs are not scary and that if you are a songwriter, you need to go sign up. Absolutely. I'm happy to answer any questions. Amazing. So that's a wrap for this episode of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. Thanks again to my very special special guest, Loretta Munoz of ASCAP. And tune in next week for episode nine, Music Publishing Isn't Scary or Confusing with Song Trust President Molly Newman. Catch you then. And thanks again to my engineer, Nathan Kane. See you then.